welcome back to the Star Wars Time Show. I know you're disappointed we're not doing another live stream. That's two weeks in a row we've missed it. But hey, sometimes yours truly, that's me, that's Matt, needs to take a break. And it's been great. But I can wait no longer to talk all things Star Wars. In particular, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the premiere and episode two. But more importantly, all of the news that came out of Star Wars Celebration 2022. So I, I know my man Nick is planning on doing a uh, solo cast as well today. So this is going to be like dueling fanjos, if you will. Get it? Star Wars fans dueling banjos. We're dueling Star Wars fanjos. Or maybe fan mats and fan Nicks. You get the point, but I'm going to lay down some thoughts, and then my man's going to lay down some thoughts. So it's truly going to be a very interesting version of the Star Wars Time Show where... My loud ass goes first and kind of vomits up my ideas on Kenobi and Celebration. And then young Nick, the calm one, the Jedi of the group, will then lay down his thoughts. But I can promise you we will be back in full or at least live streaming, live streaming again next Tuesday. Uh, if I was intelligent, I would have that date for you, but it's definitely going to be a Tuesday in June. How's that? <laughs> so... Uh, I don't know. It's been, you know, I, I've been having a good time out here at the beach. It's been uh, fantastic. But I, I will admit, starting last Thursday, uh, when Celebration 22 kicked off, and then Friday, which was Kenobi coming out day, it's been very hard for someone like myself that has Star Wars OCD to just kind of be sitting on the sidelines and uh, living the experiences through our fans on social media uh, and just being a junkie and going to my usual Star Wars sites. It's been tough to not get mixed up or uh, in the news and the breakdowns. I mean, those of you that are my longtime and hardcore fans of the show, you know that I am insane. I'm a Star Wars narcissist. I have Star Wars OCD pretty hard uh, in terms of I, I truly feel like the show will die or I will die if I don't get my voice out there on new Star Wars news, reveals, releases, you name it. So it's been tough, but I'll tell you what, it's also been nice to just kind of sit back and almost consume Star Wars as a normal super fan, if that makes any sense. Versus my usual, probably too intense take with the franchise. Um, but not going to lie, last Thursday when that Andor stuff came out. And then Friday when you had that Lucasfilm panel and the leaked Mando footage. I was like, oh, why am I not in Anaheim right now? But I do want to thank some of our fans uh, SW Props, Super Scoundrel, Scion XTC, Bat, Nova, uh, all of them were covering the show perfectly. You know, some of them were coming into our Discord, which, by the way, if you want to join the Discord, Discord, we have a public link in our Instagram profile at Star Wars Time Show on Instagram. And don't forget, if you want to check out the live stream when we return next week, you can do that Tuesdays, 2.30 p. East, youtube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. Um, but yeah, I just want to thank them. Scion in particular, uh, whipping the shirt, whipping the Star Wars Time Show hat, doing a, a, a Hunter's kind of first reaction gameplay breakdown for us. But then, you know, Nova, Bat, and our boy Tones also um, were sharing some good information in our Discord. So thank you to all you super fans. Love you. Do appreciate you. 
Um, wish I was streaming to you live today, but hey, you got to live life, right? There, there is more. There is more than the Star Wars to life, as I am learning here. So, um, I, who knows how long I'm going to go here? I am the gas bag. Uh, hopefully, it won't be too long because it's you know 9:40. I finished some real work today, so I want to get down and, and check out the beach for a little bit. But I do have a few things planned. Uh, you know, sadly, not going to do a deep dive breakdown of the Andor trailer or the leaked Mando footage or the live action Ahsoka footage that featured Natasha Lou Bordizzo as Sabine for the first time or live action Sabine. Um, but that's OK. I'll, I'll go to therapy for that or I don't know, just do more drugs or something. I just I need to get over it. I missed the Bad Batch trailer breakdown and like I said, all the other ones, but I'm still here. So I guess my OCD is not true, and I will not just spontaneously combust if I do not break down some Star Wars content. One thing I would like to kind of key you in on, though, is while I didn't do my typical full Easter egg cameo and key moments breakdown for Obi-Wan Kenobi episodes 1 and 2, I did try to do some short-form content, which actually I'm doing a lot more short-form content these days because... You got to appease the algo gods, apparently. They don't like our, our deeper dive content. But I'd really appreciate some likes, maybe new subs, comments on the YouTube shorts we're putting up. So if you are subbed to the YouTube channel, you should be seeing those shorts on the channel now. There's a playlist for the shorts. Uh, but also the same shorts go to our TikTok, which is, I believe, Star Wars Time Show, Twitter, and of course, reels on Instagram. So I'd really love that support checking out the short form content. It has done wonders in terms of driving new subs. We finally broke a thousand on YouTube for me doing bootleg looking shitty little videos. But if that's what it takes, that's what I'm going to do. I just I'm going to ask for a little more support from the fans out there. When you see that short form content come out, especially on YouTube, try to give it a quick view. They're not going to be longer than 60 seconds. So it's nothing that's going to make you want to stab your eyes out. I know I don't always put out the best content, but a like here or there would be great. All right. So let's go ahead and I'm just going to get into the uh, Kenobi stuff and then I'll do a short take on some of the things from Celebration that stood out to me and that I'm excited for. But I, I got to get my thoughts out there on Kenobi. So I, I did do a top 10 moment short for Kenobi, both episode one and two, as well as a cameos of note short for um, Obi-Wan S1E1 and S1E2. I'd love for you to check those out. Um, there was some cool cameos. I didn't know. But uh, if you knew, but uh, Ewan's daughter was the uh, drug dealer in episode two. That was Esther Rose McGregor. So that was pretty interesting. But I got more content like that, like I said, in short forms on YouTube Shorts, TikTok, and of course, Instagram Reels. But let's just kind of get into the general uh, breakdown of Kenobi, the, the premiere that is, and it was great. Um, I, I guess I want to address the elephant in the room here. Unfortunately, with the Star Wars fandom, uh, there is a, a section that just is, they're intolerable. They're, they're just horrible human beings at this point in time. I know you all don't like when I rail on the fans, but it's like, you know, I wake up today and on the official Star Wars Instagram, there's a message of support for Moses Ingram because some of the morons out there are, are going after her and being racist shitheads 
over her portrayal of Reva, the third sister in Obi-Wan Kenobi. And uh, to those of you, if you're someone that, that, that doesn't like Moses or Reva just because she's a black, uh, a black woman, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, why? What is your major malfunction, soldier? You know what I mean? And it, it, it's clearly gotten bad, so bad that the official Star Wars account has to get out there and, and essentially call people out like, listen, we're not going to let this phase us. Moses isn't going to let this phase her, but why? Why be racist dicks? So if you don't like a Star Wars character, you don't have to be an asshole about it. I personally have really enjoyed Reva over the first two episodes of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. I do think she um, stands out as a villain. I do like that they are letting her shine over the Grand Inquisitor. I do like her hyper-focus on Kenobi, because I'm telling you, even though all the answers may not be in front of you right now, all will be revealed. Uh, if you checked out my top 10 breakdown, I'm almost positive the opening scene of the Kenobi premiere, that fantastic alt perspective of Order 66 in the 501's attack on the Jedi Temple. If you look closely, one of the younglings is a little black girl. I can almost promise you that is Reva. And we are going to learn, hopefully, over the next, what do we got, four more episodes. We got episode three coming out tomorrow or today if you're listening to the podcast. I think it's going to be revealed why she has uh, such a drive to capture Kenobi and how she does know that Anakin Skywalker is Lord Vader. If you think about it, if she is that youngling, which I'm pretty sure she is, she would have been at the temple. She, there's a very good chance she would have saw Anakin as Lord Vader killing people. And maybe she gets captured. Maybe she saw Obi-Wan and Yoda there, and they didn't come and save her and, and the other younglings. And that's why she has such a, a beef with Kenobi. But I just have faith. All of you, you know, you praise Filoni and, and, and his expertise. He was a consultant on this show. Just look in the, at the end credits. He's listed. Special thanks to Dave Filoni. I promise you, all will be well. All will be explained. But even without the explanation, I truly do dig Reva. This isn't me just trying to, you know, to put out a controversial take. Uh, I, I loved her action moments. I loved the, the tension she has with the Grand Inquisitor. And again, that, that hyper-focus on Kenobi and the cunning she used to kind of lure him out. I don't know. I thought she was pretty great. I'll talk more about some of her highlights when I get into episode two. But just wanted to kind of address that. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have my usual ire. But it's like, you know, and, and sadly, I'm not surprised that there's been this negative racist backlash to Reva because of uh, the, the character and whatever insecurities and, and oddities certain Star Wars fans have about themselves in their own life that they feel like they need to project that and tear people down to make themselves feel better. All right, so that's enough Star Wars therapy. Uh, just moving on with the premiere, some of the highlights, some of the eggs I saw. You know, it was cool to finally see Anchorhead. We, you know, we heard about it in A New Hope, never really saw it. But that's, you know, that's kind of where Obi-Wan hangs out these days. That's where all the action took place. And, uh, you know, where he comes to pick up his, his Opie before he goes home. 
Uh, I thought it was cool that he used that. Uh, it was a even my daughter was like, "Hey, that's R two D two sensor that came out of the sand to kind of let him know someone was in his cave." Uh, in the saloon, there was a guy in there that looked like one of the bad guys from Solo. Uh, the T sixteen toy that was a pretty cool egg moment. Uh, you know, that's a, a direct callback to a scene in A New Hope with Luke bitching and moaning in the garage with the droids, and he's sitting there flying it around, dreaming about a better life. And as Owen pointed out to Obi-Wan, even that toy could be dangerous to someone like Luke because, you know, he it looks like he's eventually going to get it. We know he, he comes in possession of it. And you could argue getting that toy may have led to, you know, Luke's dreams to join the Academy, the Navy, and, and become a pilot, this, that, and the other thing. I also... Really loved getting a deeper dive into Alderaan, uh, the planet. It wasn't just, hey, there's the castle and there's the Organas. We actually got a look at it, and, and it really does feel like one of the more, more progressive and peaceful planets in the Star Wars galaxy that has ever been featured. Uh, there were some other good mentions in there, like Breha, uh, Colin Leia, Gorag, or a Jacko Beast. Uh, we got the name of her little droid. I don't know if... It really had that Grogu cute factor, but I, I do kind of dig Lola the droid. Uh, you had to like Bale's Pergil mention, and then of course, call back to the prequel and, and the, the, the golden age of the Jedi, we, we saw Obi-Wan's Jedi communicator. And you had to love when he finally decided, you know what, I'm tired of being a hopeless bum. Bale came here, more or less called me out, I gotta do what I gotta do, and he digs up the sabers. Uh, so that seems to be a thing with the at least the Skywalker family blade. Uh, bury it in the sands of Tatooine. And that's where it ends up by the end of the Skywalker saga. Uh, so that was kind of a neat little callback of, of Obi-Wan digging up those two sabers. In terms of the top moments, I, I briefly mentioned the beginning. Uh, anytime we get a new perspective on Order 66, I get excited. And uh, I'm telling you... We were shown that to establish some of Reva's backstory. I know she's one of those younglings, and I do think we're going to see uh, other moments in the past of hers, and, and kind of which should kind of shed more light on why she's got this, this just intense drive to capture Kenobi, but also why, she, also why she knows some things that we didn't think other people in the galaxy knew at that time such as the fact that uh, Lord Vader is indeed Anakin Skywalker. Remember, if she was at the temple and she was running for her life, maybe she saw the hollow recordings that Obi-Wan and Yoda did, but you would have saw Anakin Skywalker being called Lord Vader and whacking people down. So, yeah, that's a pretty easy way to explain how Reva would know that. And again, maybe she saw Obi-Wan in... Uh, Yoda there when they came back and she was still hiding and they didn't they didn't see her and help her but I, I do think there is going to be a moment shown where she feels kind of betrayed by Kenobi and the other other Jedi which led to her being probably captured indoctrinated and turned into an inquisitor so I, I love that moment we got a new uh, Jedi master there her name was Jedi master Minas Velti played by Ming Q uh, so that was pretty cool. Uh, other moments of note, uh, like I said, it was it was cool to get some backstory and how Obi-Wan and then ultimately Luke Skywalker gets that T-16 Skyhopper toy. And it's from a little Jawa. The Tika Jawa was pretty awesome. 
in there uh, in Kenobi's cave, shaking them down, stealing his parts and selling them back to him, but not cleaning them, as Ben pointed out. So I love that stuff. Uh, of course, experiencing some of Obi-Wan's PTSD from the prequel era was great as well. Uh, I, I would have preferred a true flashback versus just that uh, montage of, of clips of him and Anakin from the prequels, but it still got the point across. This guy, 10 years later, in his cave, is still suffering from the trauma of his failure with Anakin. And, you know, I love that they establish, as we've talked on previous shows, that because of his hopelessness and his detachment from the Force, he is struggling with his connection to the Force, with reaching out to his former master, Qui-Gon. There is no reply because he is more or less cut off. Okay, moving on from there, I'm sorry, but in addition to Reva, I'm also a huge fan of Little Leia. I loved her whole introduction and how she duped her mother and, and sent in that other girl to kind of get dressed for that event to meet her cousins. And just the fact that she is 100% Princess Leia correct. She's got the look like Carrie Fisher. She's got the sass. She's got the intelligence. She's got the, the, the kind of wherewithal. Uh, little Leia, to me, is the true gem of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series so far. Now, that could change once Vader comes into the mix, but I think Vivian uh, killed it as Little Leia. I'm all for her and Kenobi interacting. I know this has also rubbed some people the wrong way. I mean, why? I mean, how much do you remember when you're, when you're 10? I mean, I think we can get around the whole thing in A New Hope where she sends him a message like, hey, you worked for my father in the Clone Wars. Even though it sounds like she didn't quite know Obi-Wan herself, you know, I think it can be excused. And don't worry. I mean, when George made the prequels, he also made some things that were in the original trilogy also. Uh, that certain point of view stuff. Remember, people? Certain point of view. All the stuff Obi-Wan was telling Luke kind of was not what really happened. So just be patient. Let things play out. It'll be okay. I think Little Leia is excellent, and I'm Totally down with the adventures of Little Leia and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, back to Reva, I thought her moment with Owen was fantastic. Uh, again, I don't, unlike some of you, I'm, I'm all for Reva. I like her intensity. I like her anger. I like how worked up she is and, and the way she was taunting and threatening Owen. Uh, and it was kind of funny how she's like, hey, you got any Jedi on your farm? And he's like, no, but we as fans, we know that he technically has one of the most powerful Jedi in the galaxy. One that will change the fate of the galaxy uh, over the next 10 years living on his farm. So I thought that was kind of cool. And then obviously the, the follow-up <laughs> where uh, Ben comes out, Obi-Wan is like, hey, thanks, Owen. He's like, I didn't do it for you. Uh, but Owen, uh, he's keeping that anger intact. I mean, it's clear he does not like old Ben and never will, and that carries through into A New Hope. Um, back to Alderaan, y you have to appreciate seeing the Organas all together, uh, in particular the moment where they're out there on that landing platform meeting the, I think it was the Duke, Duke Organa. Uh, it, it, I don't know, it was just a beautiful moment if, if, if you think about uh, the Organas, their importance to the galaxy, 
and then what ultimately happens to them and in their planet in A New Hope. You know, that line Bale gives young Leia, like, hey, one day this whole planet will be looking at you. And sadly, he was correct, except she was on the Death Star with the planet looking at her before Tarkin blew it to smithereens. Um, but I just, I love seeing all them together, uh, as well as Goldenrod and R2, just kind of in the background doing their new roles. I mean, C-3PO was protocol droiding and translating. R2 was just kind of doing some servicing and, and whatnot stuff. Moving on with Leia. Again, this is why I love her. That moment with her cousin where uh, she calls him out. Like, hey, dude, you're a loser. Why am I talking to you? You're, you're a piece of shit. Essentially, Leia's cousin is like the scumbag Star Wars fans out there. All right? And just like Le- young Leia said, we, we ain't got time for that. You know what I mean? So, uh, love little Leia. And then the moment here, uh, last few moments from the premiere, uh, I, I love at first that the Organas called Obi-Wan over the hollow. It, it, it kind of felt like the message we ultimately get from Leia to Obi-Wan. It's like, hey, she learned from her parents. If you're in trouble, you go to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, so that, that felt very mirror-like, you know, him looking at the recording. Uh, but then when Bale actually showed up and pleaded his case to kind of like smack Obi-Wan around, be like, listen, man, the little girl is just as important as the little boy. And uh, we were kind of told this, that like, hey, we get Luke's story. We get Luke's heroics in episode four, five, and six. Obi-Wan Kenobi is going to show more of Leia. And, and like I said, I'm down for it. I love where it's going so far. I love how they've uh, positioned her in the way that she is... Um, just presented as this headstrong, confident little woman. And then, uh, again, I I talked about this, but another top moment I had was, uh, just from an emotion standpoint, him digging up those sabers was was pretty great. Uh, Seeing the the Kenobi blade next to his um, fallen apprentice's blade, and just knowing where those lightsabers are going to go over the next decade or so was a pretty cool moment uh, some other cameos outside of Ming-Q as a uh, Minas Velti we had Benny Softy as Nari you know we talked about that but confirmed now and then Flea you know Flea shows up and, and had a decent role as like this thug I thought he played a good kind of scoundrel like scumbag as Vet No Crew uh, uh, he meets an untimely end but hey we gotta love cameos from the Red Hot Chili Peppers all right, so uh, moving into episode two of Kenobi. Um, that was not Forlom, by the way. I did check the credits. It just, just said, like, bounty hunter droid. Um, but there weren't, there weren't a ton of Easter eggs. I also wasn't paying close attention because I knew I wasn't going to do my major breakdown. And um, if you do like those uh, more deep dives into Star Wars TV... They'll be coming back, uh, probably not for episode three, but four, five, and six. I'll get back to doing a, a slightly longer breakdowns, um, but episode three is probably still going to be the the short approach. Who knows? Maybe I'll do some shorts for four, five, and six to try to drive views to the bigger breakdown. Y- y- you never know. And how much time does one Star Wars fan truly have to mess around on social media? But anyways, some of the top moments from Kenobi episode two. Right from the get-go, seeing the clone vet, the poor guy there, played by Tamara Morrison in his 501 armor, begging for credits, 
just to get a meal. And just seeing kind of the look on Obi-Wan's face that Ewan made, like, damn, like, I, I remember this life. I remember these clones. We were, you know, brothers of, of, of war together. And uh, I, I mean, maybe he saw a bit of himself in that disheveled-looking clone who was no longer the, the warrior that he used to be before the Empire took over. I've got to highlight uh, Kumal Nanjiani's character of Haja Estri and his performance. Absolutely love the character. Uh, while Kumal early on was like, yeah, this is kind of a standard archetype of a Star Wars character. But after seeing him as kind of this Jedi con man or con man Jedi, I don't know. It's almost a, like a new type of character to me. Uh, he is kind of scummy. He has that scoundrel, smuggler type of persona that we got in a Han Solo. But he's he seemed to be a little more on the side of good and helping people out for a cost versus what Han would have been. I mean, you got to remember, Han only wanted his credits. He left. He was leaving the Battle of Yavin. Uh, I don't. I, I think if it weren't for Chewie kind of giving him a hard time and saying, dude, really, we're leaving, you shithead? Are you really leaving these people? He probably would have, uh, you know, went back to Tatooine and paid off his debts. Uh, but Kumal, you could tell by the end, you, you know, he's, he knows some people. He knows other uh, resistance or, or rebels out there trying to buck the system, trying to do something against the Empire and these Inquisitors. Uh, but just the whole con he had with with the magnets and the switches and the Jedi mind trick scene, it, he's just he is the perfect actor for this type of character, and uh, I hope we see him again. In fact, I'm pretty sure we will see Haja down the road. It's just that that chip he gives Kenobi means something. It's either like a a, a pass or a token that's going to get him in with other resistant types, other uh, partisan types, if you will. I've I've heard rumors that O'Shea Jackson may be playing one of these types of characters, like an early rebel or an early resistor. So who knows? But either way, big fan already of Haja Estri, played by Kumal Nanjiani. I also, continuing in episode two, really dug the tension again between, let's say, Reva and the rest of the Inquisitors. Uh, the Grand Inquisitor in particular clearly has something against her as well as the fifth brother. You know, they call her like a, like a sewer rat and all this stuff. So I'm telling you, we're going to get more story as to why she's so tense with the other Inquisitors, but also why she is so laser-focused on Kenobi for Vader. Um, how about that dinosaur bounty hunter? Now, I'm not sure if he has an official name. I didn't see it in the credits or in the closed captions. But you have to love a full-on dinosaur bounty hunter going after Kenobi and, and getting killed by Kenobi, ultimately, up there in the rooftop firefights. But I dug that. Uh, the moment that young Leia gets that green poncho, I mean, come on. Who else didn't instantly go? Return of the Jedi Leia on Endor. Endor poncho. Just like it. I mean, even her maroon dress in the first episode mimicked uh, some of the garb Leia wore in Empire Strikes Back. So um, they're, they're, they're just treating this young Leia character so perfectly in my mind. Uh, but I, I like that moment where they, they finally just kind of sat down and were, were talking and she's in that little poncho. Um, but 
you know, she's she's a strong-headed little girl, so she doesn't trust them after she sees them on the bounty call or the bounty hollow net, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, they, we, we get in that little chase scene. But the moment that stood out to me is the one where she's hanging there. And you know she's going to fall. And you know Ben, Obi-Wan, doesn't quite have his Force connection back. Um, but for the first time, he's really called upon he has to use it i mean she's gonna fall she does fall and you you get some of that iconic star wars music kind of comes into play he reaches out and sure enough he makes her float just like she wanted to or just like she said earlier like hey jedi make stuff float and uh, speaking of floating uh i am a floater myself these days on the one wheel i can't i can't express to you all how awesome this thing has been the past you know week and a half out here at the coast, just milling around. I feel like I am one with the one wheel, just like I am one with the force at this point in time. So still, nothing but high comments, high praise for one wheel. If you're on the fence, just do it. Thank me later. Okay, uh, back to my girl Reva, and really one of my most favorite parts uh, in the first two episodes that featured her, and it was her parkour chase of hate through the city-top skyline of Dayu. I, I just loved her intensity and in, in, in the action and the parkour approach that they had her take as she's trying to run down Kenobi, but ultimately gets kind of delayed by Aja. I'm actually surprised she didn't kill him. I, I think that might show you that she's not fully off the deep end yet. Uh, but I, I just really love that parkour and the intensity and how she was using the force to jump between buildings and do these twists and kicks and jumps and flips it was just it just looked rad to me i'd say one of the most emotional moments of the first two episodes had to have been right towards the end of episode two uh, the first one 100 was ben reflecting on padme as he realizes like damn this this little leia is just like my former friend and uh, Ewan was brilliant in this moment, and, and just the emotion that washed over his face. I mean, I'm getting a little sad just, just uh, remembering it. It was just, it was a thing of beauty. And you can see, like, how damaged Obi-Wan is from uh, the, the fallout of the prequels. I mean, uh, everything that happened there at the end with the fall of the Jedi, the death of Padme, uh, hit the supposed death of Anakin, the, the fall of the Jedi Order, I think I already said that. It, it destroyed him, and it, it still affects him. So I, I just, I love that moment. And uh, I think as a fan, when you were watching it and you were seeing little Leia kind of give these grown-up orders almost, you could see it on Obi-Wan, like a smile almost. It was like, there she is. That's my former friend. That's Padme. Um, so I thought that was fantastic. Just, I mean, Ewan has been brilliant so far in these first two episodes. And it continued in the next moment when Reva is taunting Obi-Wan. And she does drop that news like, listen, Lord Vader is alive. And yes, Anakin Skywalker is still around Obi-Wan. And just that, you could see it on Ewan's face. It was that, that, oh shit. My failure is now complete. Like, oh my goodness. Anakin survived. And he's been Lord Vader going around and, and as this Sith Lord for 10 years. God knows what damage he has done. 
Um, but uh, that, and then, you know, that moment when that he's in there before he escapes was fantastic. But then once he gets on the ship and he's almost, he's having a panic attack. I mean, he, he's damn near hyperventilating as the camera's pulling in on his face and you can see the fear in his eyes. Like, Oh my God. And then he says, Anakin. And as soon as he says that it cuts to Anakin Hayden in the tank, all damaged with yellow eyes. And as soon as Obi-Wan said his name, he awakes. I don't think that was a coincidence, but that was some of the best acting in Star Wars I've ever seen, uh, especially from Ewan himself, who has been one of the better Star Wars actors. But that, that whole exchange with Reva when he learns the truth that Anakin did survive his, the duel and that, you know, he is, that Lord Vader is still out there and then being on that transport and it just sinking in like, Anakin, he's alive. Oh, shit. What does this mean? Um, but that really, I mean, you can see why they wanted to do the first two episodes because that, I think that moment is really going to kind of transition us into the full plot, the, the thick of it, as they say, for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Um, and then the final moment from this episode, and it, I know it's already causing controversy, but like I said before, with the stuff with Reva knowing about Anakin, patience, my friends. I, I trust Deborah. I trust Dave. I trust this Joby guy. Uh, it'll it'll work out. But when Reva killed the Grand Inquisitor, I was definitely like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> they just they just went there. That that's pretty intense. And I know some people are spinning it as, "Oh, they're just trying to make Reva." The, the badass, the villain, but just, just hear me out. I, I do not think he's dead. In fact, I, I can almost say I know he's not dead. Uh, there's no way they're going to retcon Star Wars Rebels, which is a Disney property, a Filoni property at that, one he created without George. Uh, they're, they're not going to retcon the Grand Inquisitor in Star Wars Rebels. And if you remember some of the lines he speaks, and don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure in Star Wars Rebels, as he's taunting Ezra and Kanan, he says, you know, there is a fate worse than death. So if you think about that and kind of rewind a bit to what we just saw Reva do, there's a 99.999% chance that the Grand Inquisitor is going to be um, resurrected. Uh, is it going to be some itchy witchy cat? cat's ass stuff or is it going to be something like what happened with fennec where she you know she also takes a gut wound that should have killed her but thanks to the mod scene she was able to carry on so we could argue that you know the grand inquisitor is going to be healed in some form or fashion to come back and be available for star wars rebels or maybe even later in kenobi but I, I really doubt he is dead. Uh, I, I think that was kind of a, a bluff on the part of the writers to, you know, yeah, establish kind of Reva's uh, intensity and just the tension between these two and the competition with Sith in general or dark side users. Um, so I, I didn't have a problem with it. I, I kind of like the shock factor that it provided. Um, now, I don't like the, the fan backlash and all the nonsense. Like, just, just have a little patience. Now, if we do get through this and the Grand Inquisitor is dead, then yeah, maybe there is some beef we can have because that would technically retcon at least Rebels Season 1. But I just, I don't, I don't see that happening. Dave Filoni credited special thanks on the Kenobi series. It just, he, he's not going to let that stuff happen. Uh, so, you know, just hold on to your hats, as they say. I think the GI will be back 
um, if anything, at the end, like just a nod of him in a back to tank awakening just to confirm like, yes, this guy's alive. And kind of more on the Grand Inquisitor, if, if you've gotten into the comics and, and actually know about his true fate after being bested by Kanan, Darth Vader makes him, his spirit, stick around and, and haunt shit at this, uh, it's one of these Jedi archives, and Luke actually runs into him when he's looking for a new lightsaber after the Empire Strikes Back, so... There's definitely precedent set with the Grand Inquisitor seemingly being dead but brought back in some form uh, to suffer more. Uh, so keep your eyes on the GI. Keep your eyes on the GI. And then some other things to note there. Obviously, Tamara Morrison played the clone. That was pretty awesome. Tem was just fantastic in general at Celebration, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. And then uh, the character Tita Grigg, the drug dealer, like I said earlier, that was played by uh, Ewan's daughter, Esther Rose McGregor. So there you go. My uh, quick recaps of Kenobi 1 and 2. Uh, overall, very impressed, very pleased with what we're getting. You're not going to get any of this negativity out of me. Uh, but as Nick called me out, I'm just one of these clowns that likes anything Star Wars, so... Uh, I guess that shouldn't surprise you, but I've got no qualms with Kenobi so far whatsoever. I loved it. Uh, highlights again, Reva, Little Leia, and then obviously Ewan's acting. And um, I'm just really looking forward to Vader getting into the mix. I, I can't wait to see what Hayden brings to that role. Uh, I can't wait to see hopefully some flashbacks between Anakin and Obi-Wan again. Uh, I, I really think... These remaining four episodes are just going to blow people's minds, at least those of us that can still watch Star Wars and enjoy it without having a, a, a slant of hate or a chip of hate on our shoulder while consuming the content. All right, so a few quick things on Star Wars Celebration, then I got to go. I'm going to be here all day. It looks like I've already recorded at least 35 minutes. No big surprise. Uh, let's just start out with kind of, I'll do some sort of chronological delivery. Andor was the first big reveal. I thought the trailer was brilliant. It was Star Wars-y, but not Star Wars-y. I loved the, the Dune chant uh, music that carried throughout. And, uh, like some people said on, on socials, I think Blainer Things was one on IG. You know, it looks like we might've got a shot of Lothal in there. There were some clone troopers in there. Uh, it just looks very intriguing. You you had like that ISB Security Council scene for the Empire, and who was that guy? Um, you know, it kills me that I wasn't able to break it down and really analyze every uh, nuance. But I, I don't know. I just I'm highly intrigued by what the Andor trailer showed, and and I can't wait to, for the series to begin August 31st. Uh, I, I think it is going to be a, a very unique Star Wars program, uh, much different than Kenobi, Book of Boba Fett, Mando. Um, Tony Gilroy has has made sure to tell us that too, but you could feel it from the trailer. Like I said, it feels very Star Wars, definitely has that Rogue One flavor to it, uh, but it also felt unique in and of itself. And I, I think the focus on Mon Mothma is probably going to be one of my favorite aspects of this series, just to kind of see, uh, you know, the, the, the further rise of the Empire through the eyes of a very prominent senator and, and through the eyes of uh, the ultimate soon-to-be rebel 
leader. I mean, she, she is the one that brings all the rebel cells together to form the rebel alliance. And, you know, that shot of her in the Senate and there's almost no one there participating anymore because they all know it's a sham. That stuff intrigues me. Um, I wouldn't say I was a huge fan of the politics of the prequels, especially, you know, all the Trade Federation nonsense. But I I think I'm going to dig the politics that they're trying to weave into Andor. It's going to be very interesting to see how the, you know, faux Senate was operating at this point in time. You know, it was just kind of it was a sham Senate. 100%. I mean, uh, what, within five years or so from Andor, it's going to get abolished anyways, right at the beginning of A New Hope. But um, Andor definitely showed a lot of promise. There's no doubt about that. Uh, The the next big thing was that Lucasfilm panel, which, you know, those of you that were there, kudos to you. Uh, I definitely had a lot of FOMO watching the panel or what was shown. Uh, seeing the coverage, some of you, I know Trevor got in there, one six shooter, and um, all the little bonuses you got, like the John Williams concert, you then got invited to the Kenobi red carpet premiere, just seemed awesome. Is there something else I oh, can help with? No, Siri. Well, thanks for trying to help. But um, the Mando season three footage that was shown off, I mean, again, it was not public. I, I did get the leak, so thanks to, I think Tones was the one that found it for us. Uh, but really, I'm gonna, you know, as I usually do, I'm gonna pound my chest a little bit here. If you watched the Mando season three footage and saw the direction of season three, then you know my speculations are pretty much a hundred percent on. Uh, it looks like the tale is gonna fully be Din Djarin going to Mandalore to try and reclaim his honor. Now, what was also revealed is it looks like. You know, Din and the armor haven't completely fallen out yet because they interact. It almost seems like she's helping him. And I've always kind of felt like she has, she, she kind of holds him in a special regard for one reason or the other. Um, it, it could be just through what he's done, he's proven to her that he is kind of special. Or, or maybe she knows something that we as the audience doesn't know yet. Uh, maybe he does have some special connections or abilities is it the force is it some sort of bloodline to a lost mandalorian family who knows but it just seems like she she likes him more than the other uh covert mandos uh, even more than than paz i believe uh, so that that was interesting but the other big thing is it, it, it does look like bo katan may end up kind of being a bit of a an antagonist to Din in Mandalorian Season 3. I mean, she, she looks like she's feeling bad about herself, sitting on her throne. Uh, there's, that, there's a moment in there where she's alone with Grogu, and she's like, hey, you didn't, your dad didn't tell you that there's other Mandalorians. Almost like, I don't know, I, what are you doing, Bo? We love you, Katie. Don't do this to us. Don't, don't try to screw over Grogu and Din just because of your obsession with the Darksaber and being the ruler of Mandalore. Maybe Din is the true ruler. Uh, that, that still, um, some of those prophecies may still come to uh, hatch, such as the one that the armor just said in the book of Boba Fett about, you know, uh, riding the beast of man, the, the, riding the mythosaur and going to the uh, mines of Mandalore and the living waters. Uh, but based on the panel footage, we're getting all that. So again, I know we're not doing the live stream, but if you want to just take a moment of silence or clap to yourself to honor my speculation abilities, 
you can do so now. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, the one bummer, though, with Mando Season 3, and, you know, I, I'll, I'll also take the losses. I was way off on my prediction of when it would release. Uh, I thought it'd be coming out at the end of 2022, just kind of like the Book of Boba Fett did. But they did confirm now it is not coming out until February of 2023, which is going to leave room for, you know, Andor to take up uh, a good part of September and October. And then Bad Batch Season 2, which I'll talk about here in a second, will round out the fall of new Star Wars content. Um, but yeah, Mando is, is alive and well. It, it, it definitely was a darling of celebration. There was that cool um, Mando props uh, area that looked like it was there. So again, the jealousy was, was strong here. But we all know jealousy and envy is a young one's tool. And I'm no longer young, so I'm going to try to get over that. All right, so what else do we have for uh, celebration? How about the live-action Ahsoka stuff? There was also a little clip there that leaked out. I saw it. It didn't show much, but it did confirm that there's going to be live-action Hera, live-action Chopper, and more importantly, we got Natasha Lou Bordizzo confirmed as live-action Sabine. Uh, so she was out there with Rosario, and man, they just they look fantastic together. Just two beautiful women playing strong characters. Super excited for live-action Ahsoka. I also want to bring this up, and I, I did a little short-form breakdown on this, but after all the Ahsoka news came out, Mina Masood, who has been rumored to be playing live-action Ezra, put out a pretty cheeky tweet saying, Hey, wish everyone luck. Can't wait to see the Ahsoka series. To which someone replied like, hey, that's a pretty interesting way to get around the NDA. And then Mina replied with uh, Maverick from Top Gun essentially doing the uh, you know what I'm doing type of nod. Like, you, you got me, bro. So I don't know. Is that Mina trolling or is he getting cheeky and confirming that he's playing live action Ezra? Either way, we do know now at least that you're going to see a live action Hera, Chopper, and Sabine in the Ahsoka series. And that is fantastic. And that will also be releasing in 2023. Uh, we did get some Bad Batch information for Season 2. We got a trailer and a clip. Uh, the trailer is pretty great. It shows that, you know, some time has passed. Uh, that's reflected in the armor of the Bad Batch. They've all tweaked or modded their armor in some form or fashion. Hunter's got a scarf. Uh, Wrecker's got some yellow paint. They all kind of changed their paint scheme from the gray and red. Uh, but I, I think the most noticeable change is in Omega, who definitely looks older, but now she also has her own armor kit with this funky-looking hat helmet. Um, but it, 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 the tone definitely looks to be like moving into the, you know, we're not, uh, while Hunter's like, hey, we're free, blah, 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 and, and they're like, no, you're not. Have you been paying attention to what's happening in the galaxy? Uh, you know, Rex makes an appearance. Uh, we get that Wookiee Jedi from the Clone Wars makes an appearance. Um, Sidious makes a, an appearance as Palpatine, Masamita. It just, it, it was a great trailer, but the tone of Bad Batch Season 2 seems to be kind of shifting into the people in the galaxy that are willing to fight back and do the right thing and, and save those that need saved from the Empire. So um, while it looks like the Bad Batch may kind of resist that, I think others like Rex are going to ultimately push them towards, we got to be freedom fighters. You know, we were, we were born and bred to be fighters. There's no wars to fight anymore. But now we have this war 
this rebellion, if you will, to help take part in. And, and really the big thing coming out of the Bad Batch Season 2 trailer was the return of Commander Cody in his purely gray and white armor. He no longer has his yellow. And, uh, you know, th- this, again, I, I didn't see this. I just kind of read secondhand stuff. But it does look like he was with Crosshair and, and almost questioning, hey, man, are, are we doing the right thing here? Like, you know, similar conversations that Crosshair's other brothers had with him at the end of season one. And he still was like, listen, no, I, I'm all for the Empire. See you later. May the force be with you or not. Um, but yeah, you're going to get Cody in season two. And just it looks like some time has passed. Bad Batch are a little more uh, rugged looking, have uh, done some changes to their armor, as well as Omega growing up a bit and getting her own armor kit and all that fun stuff. So uh, I'm excited for Bad Batch. I love season one, season two dropping this fall. Uh, but the trailer was, was pretty choice. Uh, Tales of the Jedi was uh, officially confirmed, and we did get some details on that as well, and I think fans of the Clone Wars will be extremely happy because it's essentially an addendum to the Clone Wars. It's going to tell six shorts. Three of the shorts are going to follow Dooku when he was a Jedi Master training a young Qui-Gon, and Qui-Gon's going to be voiced by Liam Neeson and his son. And then the other three shorts are going to focus on Ahsoka, starting with her birth. And then uh, the other two will kind of show other points in her life as a Jedi. So um, Tales of Jedi definitely looking pretty pretty slick. We're also going to get Mace Windu in it, uh, Anakin, and a pre-cyborg General Grievous, which honestly has me the most excited. I love that type of uh, lore explore, uh, lore exploring, if you will. So I'm down for that. Uh, Skeleton Crew was officially announced. That, this was that Grammar Rodeo project we've been talking about. And Jude Law was the only cast member revealed. Uh, but it, this will be set during the High Republic era. Uh, we got some... The, the, I, I think one disappointing thing here, and I, I don't know if Nick will kind of dive into this, but there was almost zero information on the Star Wars film verse. Tons of love for the TV shows, not so much for the films. The only thing we really got was Kathleen Kennedy in an interview, I believe, said that, yeah, Taika Waikiki's movie will now be the first one to hit theaters over Patty Jenkinson's uh, Rogue Squadron. We didn't get any more details than that, uh, and really that was it in terms of movies. There was no movement on Rogue Squadron, no official details on Taika's outside of KK just saying, hey, yeah, I mean, he's probably going to go first now. And then finally, and I'm sure I've missed some things, and maybe Nick will pick up on them, but um, we got the first trailer, the official trailer for Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and it looked like a pretty damn good trailer. It was fully cinematic, but they're teasing something with this girl in a Bacta tank, and again, I haven't had time to research or really kind of do my usual uh, deep dive into these new Star Wars trailers, so I'm, I'm sure other people have figured out who the girl is. Uh, I don't know if it's Trilla, who knows, but it could be the survivor in Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Is it another Jedi that's been kind of locked up in this tank? It's super powerful that that Cal is looking for. Um, So that's that. I probably went a little too long here. It looks like I almost did an hour. I'm pissing away my nice weather, but hey, I had to get this stuff off my chest because there's always time for Star Wars time. 
even when you're trying to take a little vacation. Um, but hey, felt good to, to talk a little bit. Hopefully you dug what I had to say. And like I said, I think my man Nick will be coming up here in a moment to give his take on um, Kenobi and some of the stuff from Star Wars Celebration. So stay tuned in, listen to what young Nick has to say, and don't forget next week we will be back with the live stream, youtube.com slash Star Wars Time Show, 2.30 p. East on Tuesdays. And as always, if you're just our standard podcast listener, new episodes will drop on Wednesday on all platforms. All right, my friends, it's been real. See you next week. Can't wait to check out Kenobi episode three tomorrow or today if you're listening on Wednesday. And just, you know, keep your eye out for some of that short form content on Kenobi episode three. I'll probably do another, you know, top 10 key moments or a cameo breakdown, something like that on YouTube shorts, Instagram reels, and TikTok at Star Wars Time Show on most platforms. Give us some love because there is always time for Star Wars time. And while the show is not technically ending, I just want to remind you, if you do listen to the Star Wars Time Show, the Force will be with you. Always. Well, hello there, everyone. I hope you enjoyed Matt's segment of this podcast. As you can tell, this is another episode of the Star Wars Time Show where we are not live. One, we're not live on YouTube uh, at, at the time of recording. And Matt and I are again separated. We are separated uh, from each other. Matt's still at the beach. I am still at home. Um, covered as much of the Star Wars celebration news as uh, as we could in the way that we in the way that we are situated right now. I know that there are some exclusive interviews and stuff like that that other outlets were able to grab because they were on the floor and stuff like that. But we covered all of the big news and happeningses that were going on during Star Wars celebration. So as Matt did, I will kind of give you. Some general impressions and opinions on Celebration 2022, some of the stuff that came out from it, and I'll also give you my thoughts on the first two episodes of Kenobi. And as usual, I am not a launch day watcher, I am a podcast day watcher. So as I record this, I have just finished watching the first two episodes of Kenobi about 10 minutes ago, so it's all fresh in my head. So you're going to be getting hot, fresh takes from me. Um, and hopefully they line up with what, what Matt has to say, but we'll see. We'll see upon the stitching of this episode, how our, how our thoughts jived, but I'm going to, I'm going to start off first with, with just celebration stuff. Um, celebration 2022, Matt and I going into this one, even before it was delayed because of COVID and everything else. Um, we always did think that this was going to be a relatively low key celebration, um, and in my opinion, it, it ended up being just that, um, we, we did get some exciting things. We got the Andor, um, we got the Andor trailer, the first official full teaser for Andor, which I thought was incredible. It really does, um, feel like a different type of star Wars show that we're going to see. Um, you know, it's, it's not going to be focused on, you know, the, the force users of the galaxy, it's not going to be focused on, um, like this, this, this feeling, this tension that was always in the air when you were in the old, uh, the OT timeline, the prequel trilogy timeline and the sequel trilogy timeline where there is kind of like a, like an ongoing tension because you're watching Jedi and, you know, you're, you're seeing them try to make their way through the galaxy that's being, you know, 
uh, either taken over in terms of the prequels by the dark side or uh, trying to to keep themselves hidden from the dark side after the the dark side has already taken over in terms of the OT and the sequel trilogy. Um, but I thought it was really cool. Um, I was a big fan of of everything that they showed, and and I really do. I really am excited to see like what gets Andor into the galaxy and and, and working for the Republic or for the Rebellion at that time. Uh, we know that he essentially loses his whole family. At some point, we know that he um, is is orphaned at a very young age. So seeing all of this take place in the show is going to be really awesome. Um, and then it was also really cool to see some of the other characters that are at play, that are going to be at play in this series. Um, Marva, the, the female character who was talking at the end of the show, played by Fiona Shaw. Um, Kyle Soller's character even though they didn't give him a name because he didn't speak, but seeing him, seeing it seems like he is either one of the first conscripted soldiers that are under the, the, uh, the banner of the empire. Um, seems like he could be in that role and you can see kind of in that trailer, the, the uncomfortability, the almost look of shock that is on his face. That is, you know, you typically don't see that with clone soldiers. Clone soldiers are born and bred to be fighting machines, but but people like Kyle Soller's character has to adjust to a world where he is now a soldier and it may not have been his decision. Um, so it's, I'm definitely interested to see how his character develops and plays out over the series. And then also Luthen, um, Stellan Skarsgård's character, um, I've always been a huge fan of Stellan uh, and his work and to get to see him in Star Wars in a in a series like Andor, I think that fits him perfectly. Um, it's still a little we're still a little unsure of of his role, the role he'll be playing because it was left relatively ambiguous. You could lean one way and say that he may be hunting Andor, but you could also lean the other way and say that he maybe just kind of this in this middle ground where he's not necessarily working for the rebellion or for the empire. He may just be, uh, you know, uh, an outlander a while, you know, somebody who's, who's really out for himself. So seeing the introduction of those characters in this, uh, trailer was really awesome. Obviously seeing Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma and seeing Cassian or not Cassian, seeing Diego Luna back as, as Cassian was awesome as well. But really what's going to make this show in particular, even though it is called Andor, are the supporting players. Because while we are going to be following Cassian and his exploits during his time with the Rebellion prior to the events of Rogue One, we a lot of what he is going to be doing and a lot of what he what what makes his character is the environment and the people around him because he is a part of the rebellion, even though he's a spy, like it's not like, you know, the, the other shows or it's not like other characters who can be solo players who can be on their own in, in trying to make a difference on their own. Kind of like what we're seeing with Kenobi, you know, like he has to be on his own. There, there's no option for him. He, he has to be alone in his plight and, for Andor, for Cassian, it's not like that. He has, whether he likes it or not, whether he wants to or not, he is going to have the full weight of a, uh, even, you know, 
I wouldn't say well organized, but but he's it's still a an organization of a rebellion behind him. So um, the players around are as important as he is, in in my opinion. So I'm very interested to see how that plays out. So uh, the trailer itself, I was a huge fan. I, I really liked it. Two minutes. Obviously, teaser trailers don't give you too much. Not story trailers or anything like that. Um, but it did a great job of of starting to build the hype for the release of Andor, which is in three months at this point. Uh, I am recording my half of this podcast on May 31st, um, and the release date for Andor is August 31st, so we're exactly three months out from when I'm saying this sentence. Um, but I was a huge, huge fan of that. Um, and, and really, kind of like I was saying before, um, it was a low-key celebration. It was. I mean, there there wasn't a huge amount of stuff that came out to the general public um, that was actually that exciting. I'll just be honest with you, at least for me. You know, it was it was cool to see some of these things get announced, I guess you would say. But a lot of the the hot stuff seems to be sh- uh, only shared with the people who are at Celebration. I know that there was a leak of a video for Mando S3 that showed the live action uh, version of Sabine, at least from behind. We didn't get to see her face. Um, we know that she's being played by, oh man, the name escapes me now, but um, we know who the actress is who's playing Sabine. Um, and after after that uh, that leak had come out and people had seen it, it was interesting to see that Mina Masood, who was the early uh, leak for who would be Ezra was out on socials kind of still playing that role, like still playing the role of like, Hey, I, I, I'm going to be Ezra. I can't tell you I'm going to be Ezra, but I'm, I'm going to be Ezra. Um, while there were, uh, and this, this all was happening while there were other leaks out there saying that Matthew law, he is the guy who's going to be playing Ezra. So who the fuck knows who's going to be playing Ezra? Um, I think her name is Natasha Lee Bordizzo or something like that. The girl who's playing, um, the girl who's playing Sabine. So it was, it was cool to get to see that even though it was about, you know, it was cell phone shaky quality from inside of the arena when it was happening. So you can't expect to, to have some, you know, super good quality footage from there, but it was really cool to see that. Um, and really the only other like widely released huge piece of new news was the official teaser for Jedi survivor. Um, and this kind of, you know, this, this may play into something that we saw in Kenobi because, um, in this trailer for Jedi survivor, you see another Powan, a Powan, an Uda Powan. That is the race of being that the grand inquisitor is. Um, so is it the same grand inquisitor that we see in Kenobi that we saw in rebels that we, uh, are familiar with, or at least that we're assuming that we're familiar with. Um, you know, you get to see Cal dueling, you know, the, the trailer itself was pretty fun, like showed you, uh, what to expect in the game. And then at the end, really, that was the huge reveal there at the end of it was, uh, this, this person floating in a Bacta tank. Is it a Jedi? Is it the Jedi survivor? Is that the, the onus for the title of this game? Um, or is this just a, a another random plot point character that Cal comes across in his his travels and he needs to save this person and then see whoever they are. Um, but yeah, so uh, 
Jedi Fallen Order had its first, or not, Jedi Survivor, sorry, Jedi Fallen Order was the first game, had its teaser trailer, pretty good, but uh, really for me, like that was the only two big things that that came out of Celebration, which is kind of disappointing. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Um, they were fun, st- like I said, they were really fun things. You know, the, the Andor trailer, the Jedi Fallen Order trailer, the, the announcement of Skeleton Crew, even though we have basically no idea what it is or, um, you know, what the even general plot synopsis is for that show. Um, and then, you know, some other very small things like the uh, the announcement of season two of Star Wars Visions, uh, the announcement of another anthology series called Tales of the Jedi. Uh, the announcement of Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation on uh, Disney Plus as well, um, but overall, it was it was pretty low key. Not not a lot actually came came out of it. Um, I think that one of the reasons why it may be a little dampered for me in terms of celebration is because a lot of what has come out from celebration was stuff that we already knew about from leaks. Um, and that's disappointing. You know, I, it sucks when the, a, a company like LFL, um, and like Disney, you know, put time and effort into building these pieces of content and they have this incredible showcase like they have with star Wars celebration but it's all ruined because three people on Reddit who know somebody who works at Disney or Lucasfilm uh, leaks everything. You know, I, if you listen to the show, you know, I'm not a huge fan of leaks. You know, I'm not a huge fan of leakers because essentially what it does is it ruins moments like this. You know, if, if we had for the first time saw, uh, or, you know, like, found out about some of these properties that we already knew about from leaks, then it would have been a lot more interesting. Um, but I don't think that leakers is the only, or leaks and leakers are the only reason that this celebration was relatively low key. I mean, let's just recap what we got. We already knew Ahsoka was coming out. We already know Mandalorian season three is coming out. We already know Andor's coming out. We already knew that there was a sequel to Jedi fallen order coming. Um, all of those things were already table stakes. Like we already knew that they were happening. So, so coming out and saying like, Hey, this is happening. Wasn't really huge. Here's what we got. That was new, new net, new skeleton crew. Like I said, TV series revealed that features Jude law in the, in the lead role. Um, and, um, some children along with him. This is grammar rodeo. Again, part of the leaks, like, we already knew about this, even though we didn't know the name, but we we knew that there was this series that was floating out there. Um, and then the only other thing that we got other than that was we got Star Wars Vision Season 2 announcement, which we weren't sure on. I think that a lot of people felt like Star Wars Visions would get a second run because of how popular it was and how well received it was. So that was a pleasant surprise. And then the... and then. Tales of the Jedi, another anthology series similar to the style of um, Visions. That is it in terms of net new. 
I mean, you can add in Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation if you want to. That's another one-off, not even a series, just a a small special coming to um, coming to Disney Plus this summer. So, net new items were actually at a severe low. Um, I said prior go prior to uh, celebration starting that I wanted movie news. I wanted something from from the movie verse of Star Wars, whether it be a title, whether it be a release timeline, whether it be anything. I mean, sh- show me a show me a a, a a title screen. Show me a you know a a newly redesigned Star Wars logo that will fit along with one of these films. We got none of that. We got zero in terms of new video games. Um, I know that, you know, it hasn't been that long since the the rights have reverted away from sole exclusivity on EA's part, but we have no new video game. I mean, we they, they didn't even announce the title of a new video game coming from somebody who's not EA. Um, that is extremely disappointing. Um, I feel like... Out of everything that has gone on since the Star Wars license has been uh, revitalized by Disney, the, the worst part of it has been the video game. And that used to be one of the strengths, one of the great strengths of the Star Wars universe outside of the films was incredible video games. Uh, you know, we always talk about KOTOR, but you still had, you had, uh, Jedi Academy, you had Jedi, uh, Jedi Outcast, you had that, like the battlefield or the battlefront, the original battlefront games, not the EA battlefront games, which were a, a heavy disappointment. You had so many different versions of star Wars video games that were, that were coming out, even star Wars VR pinball and, and shit like that. Like you had so many different video game titles out there that you could always jump in. And you could always have a new experience, whether it be, you know, playing a Jedi in KOTOR or, or hopping on and playing, um, you know, the the massive battles or the the, the battles that were to, to be played in Battlefront and Battlefront 2. And then all of the other titles that were out there for Star Wars. I mean, you know, Star Wars Galaxies, the, the first Star Wars MMO that ever came out. Then you had Star Wars The Old Republic. Um, another MMO that's still live and being developed. And this happened, you know, this, that game came out prior to the, the EA acquisition of the rights, uh, after Disney bought Lucasfilm. So there was always something out there in star Wars land for you to do some new experience for you to have. And it just hasn't felt like that recently. Um, and, uh, having a celebration go by with no new video game news was actually highly disappointing. Um, and like I mentioned too, the only movie news that we really got was that Taika's movie is next. Um, it is planned for a 2023, late 2023 release. Kathleen Kennedy would not elaborate on whether it's going to be a December 2023 or even uh, if 2023 is a hard and fast time. You know, it's just Taika's movie's coming out in 2023, probably. Uh, no title, no news on timeline, no hints at what it could be about characters in play. If we know them, if we don't, nothing, nothing about that. 
and absolutely nothing about Patty Jenkins's already announced movie called Rogue Squadron. Rogue Squadron was supposed to be the 2023 release. Um, we haven't heard anything. We didn't hear anything about that. We haven't heard anything about that until we found out that it was being delayed shortly after the release of Wonder Woman 84, which was, I don't want to call it a disaster, but it was definitely not something that would, that would increase um, Lucasfilm's confidence in, in Patty Jenkins and, and her script writing. So um, that was extremely disappointing for me. Uh, that there was literally no news about movie. Um, I love the live action series. I, I always have. I was always a proponent of live action Star Wars even before The Mandalorian came out because it gave you an opportunity to tell stories in a different fashion. Like we've been getting. You, you get to build universes um, and you don't have to limit yourself to two hours of film time. You can have 10 hours of of screen time on these streaming platforms like Disney Plus. So I'm a huge fan of that. But I think at its core and, you know, from its inception, Star Wars was always a silver screen type of thing. And I think that, um, you know, not having Star Wars on a movie theater screen for as long as it has been, while the, the license is being actively developed, has been a bit disappointing. Um, so fingers crossed that in the coming, I mean, I would hope that in the coming months, we may get some more news about Taika's movie given the 2023 release window. Um, but I don't have high hopes if I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, we'll see what happens. I don't think that, I don't think that Taika is, I don't think that he's a creator like Patty Jenkins or like, um, any of these other ones out there that had their names linked to Star Wars projects in the past, you know, Weiss and Benioff, uh, for example. Um, I, he is, he's as much of a home run hitter, a, a sure thing as there is in Hollywood. Now, every, everything that he's done has, has been highly revered. Everything that he's done has been well-made, well-crafted and well-written. So I think that when, once he finally does start to dig into his Star Wars project and we start to find out information on it, I think it's going to be really cool. But it's just disappointing that the, the, the showcase, the highlight of the year for Star Wars fans, a.k.a. Star Wars Celebration, um, didn't have anything to say about it. Didn't ha- not only didn't have anything to say about his movie, but didn't have anything to say about any movies, period. Um, so that was a bit disappointing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, I'm sure that for those of you who are that, that were there, I'm sure that y'all had an amazing time hanging out with everybody there, seeing the show floor, being able to, to partake in the panels and the, in the interviews that happen on the floor as well. Um, but from a, the perspective of somebody who was just seeing what came out in the media and seeing the official releases from Star Wars and from other outlets, it was relatively uh, disappointing is what I'll say about the, the stuff that came out from celebration. So, um, that's it. That's, that's, that's my thoughts on celebration 2022. I hope that everybody that was there had an amazing time. Um, I'm sure that there's some, some stories and some things and some, some items that you guys may have information about that we still don't have yet. So, um, I hope everybody had an awesome time. And at this 
point, I'm going to transition into my Kenobi speak, my Obi-Wan Kenobi thoughts and opinions on the first two episodes. And like I was just saying, I, I love Star Wars live action TV. I do. And Kenobi is no exception. Um, the first two episodes were were fantastic. I think that uh, Leia was written and acted so well. Um, we knew Leia. Uh, I mean, for those of us who grew up with the original trilogy, who watched the original trilogy obsessively, like Leia, Leia was such a standout character, not only for the time, but also, um, you know, even past the time that it was originally made, like her, her strength of character and the way that George wrote and built Leia was so counter to what you would see in popular culture at that time. Uh, women tended to be very waifish. Um, they tended to be um, only in particular uh, shows or, or movies as plot devices in a lot of cases. Um, go back and watch a lot of the movies in the in the 80s, 70s and 80s. And that's kind of what they were. But Leia was never really like while she was used as a plot device initially to like, you know, um, save the princess, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. She was initially used as a plot device. But once they actually got onto the Death Star and saved her, uh, the the audience found out she was much more than that. And I think that Deborah did an amazing job of Deborah and Joby Harold, her, her writing partner did an incredible job of translating what we know of as, I mean, even at the time in the OT teenage Leia, 19 year old Leia into her twenties and taking that in, in de-aging it in a way, bringing it down to when Leia's 10 and seeing what she's like as a child I think they nailed it. I think they nailed the rebelliousness, the rebelliousness. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think they nailed her, what her personality would be like. Just the little exchanges that she has with people. Um, even before she gets to die you and starts talking to Kenobi, that conversation she has with her cousin, um, you know, her quote unquote cousin, her Organa cousin, um, was fantastic. It showed that she's not somebody who's going to put up with, uh, you know, anybody's shit, whether they be a relative or not. And then how she interacted with Kenobi when they were on Dayu, um, was fantastic. Like she, she was right to not be trusting, you know, she was right to question his motives. She was just kidnapped. She doesn't know who this person is. Anybody can say your dad sent me. And I think that, for a 10-year-old girl who has just been kidnapped, I think the response that she had towards Kenobi was actually spot on and super appropriate to what was happening at the moment. Um, that was, she was really the biggest highlight for me of, of the first two episodes was just seeing how they, what a fantastic job Deborah Chow did bringing young Leia to life that way. Um, I love the character of Reva as well. Um, an outcast, even in her own, uh, organization, you know, third sister, the least among us, the lowest among us as the, as the grand inquisitor said, um, you already get a feeling of somebody who is 
out to prove themselves, out to make a name for themselves, but not with, you know, her direct superior, the Grand Inquisitor, but with the Dark Lord himself, with Vader himself. She knows that Vader has a longing to capture Kenobi. She also knows that Vader is Anakin Skywalker and what link that has uh, between those two people. So seeing Reva's motivations, even in the first two episodes, was really awesome. And I think that Moses Ingram did a great job of, of playing the character the way that it needed to be played to show this this arrogance almost bordering on maniacal overconfidence in in some senses to literally i mean like i'm assuming that if you've watched you know that if you're listening to this that you've watched the the first two episodes of kenobi but to literally be in the same room as kenobi with your superior and then to turn and and gut you know, stab your own boss to sh- prove a point that I got him here. I'm going to bring him in. This is not your bounty. This is not your, um, you know, your, your, your accomplishment to, to share. This is mine to see her literally stab him in the gut, uh, was, was pretty powerful. And then the, the moment that Kenobi finds out that, that Vader is Anakin was also pretty powerful in that room with the, with the two inquisitors, two people who would likely kill him if, if he engaged in direct combat. Um, and the way that that hit him so hard, I thought that that was a very powerful moment. Um, yeah, I mean, my overall impressions are very high. The first two episodes, I'm very excited to see what happens from here. Um, do you trust Haja? Is are these coordinates? Is this coordinate, um, you know, stick that that he gave them actually going to take them to where he said it would take them to safety, um, or is it going to put them in even more harm's way? I mean, we'll we'll find out. We know just based off of the trailers that at some point we end up on an imperial facility that uh, that either Kenobi is in or that. That Leia is in. At this point, we don't know how we get there. We don't know if this this cargo transport that they jumped on is programmed to take them there or if it gets intercepted somehow and redirected towards an Imperial facility. Uh, or if, you know, after this, Leia is safe. Leia is actually returned back to the Organas and then Kenobi is, is on a solo mission from there. Knowing that Vader is Anakin may have just popped something in his brain that says like, I have to put a stop to this. Um, we saw that he was truly dedicated to the life of a nobody on Tatooine literally had gone out to the middle of the dune seed, buried his lightsaber and Anakin's lightsaber under the sand, never to be seen again. Um, and that's the advice that he gave to Nari as well. Bury it and get out. But now knowing that Anakin is back, now knowing that 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 his best friend, somebody he once considered a brother, is now has now become Darth Vader. Uh, it, it will be interesting to see what his process is after that. Does he go try to find him, go after him? Does he try to reach out to him through the force? Does he 
what does he do? What is his, what is his thought process? What is his, what are his next steps taken after finding this out? And that's, that's what really makes episodes three through six super interesting. Cause the first two, he was first two episodes, the ones that we had just seen, he was really going about out of a sense of obligation, not even to himself, but to, to bail and to, um, I mean, to a lesser, I mean, like not even really to Leia, you know, like he, the conversation that he had and he had with Bale in his cave was actually very, it went very different than I thought it would. I did not think that Kenobi was going to say, well, Leia's not my problem. Leia's your problem. Somebody else can deal with it. I have to worry about Luke. Um, and I think that, that Bale did a good job of getting at the core of, what was wrong with Kenobi. You know, it's not his, you know, nobody knows who Luke Skywalker is. I mean, nobody knows that Luke Skywalker exists. Um, so it, it really wasn't like, I have to stay here. I have to protect the boy. It was a sense of fear, fear of failure that he had felt so recently. I mean, 10 years seems like a long time, but when it's the death of your best friend at your own hands, uh, that'll stick with you for a long time. Having that fear, having that, those memories, those dreams that we saw Kenobi having in his cave, you know that he's not, that he is not, and he never did really get past his failure with Anakin. And that's what kept him uh, in the state that he was in up until the point where he had to, you know, he finally realized that he had to go and save Leia. Um, I think that was really interesting. You never, you never really think about Jedi and fear. The only time you ever really think about Jedi and fear is when you're thinking about Anakin and when you're thinking about his fall, but you never really think about like Yoda or Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, Mace Windu in terms of how fear affects them because in the original, well, maybe not the original, but in the, in the grand Republic Jedi way, Fear was something to be discarded. Fear was something that led to the dark side. I mean, we all remember the the quote from from Anakin or to Anakin from Yoda: "Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering." And you know, I feel like even though the Jedi had that perspective on fear or had that teaching on fear that all of them felt it to a degree. All of them felt fear to a degree, but it's just how did it manifest to them? I think that if you look at Kenobi, his fear had manifested into self-isolation, but even to a higher degree than that, you know, like, Dedication to a cause, yes, but also fear of failing in the face of almost certain death for other people, you know, um, like we saw that with Nari. We saw it. We saw Kenobi's fear and his worry and his apprehension at play with Nari in episode one. You saw how that affected him and you saw how 
his complete inability to put his fear aside to try to help somebody who is one of his own completely consumed him. Um, and that's what happened with during the conversation, the initial parts of the conversation with Bale. His fear completely consumed him. I mean, if it wasn't for his the great fear of failure and the great fear of not only failing Bail, but failing Leia and thus failing Padme. It, it truly uh, froze him. Like he, he didn't really know how to react to that. He didn't know how to, to handle something like that. He never thought he would, honestly. He probably never thought that he would have to worry about Leia because she was in such a station. She was with such a well-respected and revered family that he never imagined that he would have to worry about her. His task was the boy. His task was Luke. And he never really looked past that. And for him, it was safe. For him, being on Tatooine, living in the wastes, living in the cave that he's in at this point in time, was almost comfort for him in a way because it, it, it pulled him away from his failure. It pulled him away from the greater galaxy and he didn't have to live with the consequences of what happened to him and what happened to Anakin and what happened to the Jedi, the greater Jedi order to some degree, because as we saw one of the people who, you know, was in the market when, when Reva was going about making her speech about the Jedi and, you know, we'll chop off hands. So when you reach for something, you remember um, that speech. One of the one of the the uh, patrons of one of the shops that was there literally said, "Like the Empire has no hold here. Why are you here? Like you know, we we aren't a part of your 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 governmental grasp. We're in the outer rim. We don't answer to you." Um, and I feel like that gave Kenobi a sense of safety knowing that even the empire wasn't really going to, to make inroads into Tatooine. Um, and while the sense of safety didn't necessarily lead to a sense of complacency to where he was getting sloppy or he was, you know, getting loose or anything like that, it did, it did affect him mentally to, to the point to where he was unwilling to help. He was unwilling to do the one thing that Kenobi always tried to do, which was help. I mean, uh, in whatever way that he could, even if it was, you know, even if it was Anakin that was pushing him sometimes to help when he maybe shouldn't during the Clone Wars cartoon series and stuff like that. Kenobi at his core is a caring person. And if he was not under the effect of that fear then I don't think that there would have had to be a conversation, you know, uh, there, the conversation with, with Bale wouldn't have had to happen. He would have known that Leia was taken. I have to go get her. There's nobody else that can do it. There's nobody else that has the skill, not even necessarily skills, but has the requisite knowledge to know how important this person is to the galaxy. Um, and it was really kind of stunning to see his apprehension and his fear come out in such a visceral way um, in that conversation. So I thought that, that was really well, well done. 
Um, and just in general, the whole show was, was fantastic. Um, I think that Deborah Chow really nailed it. I think she, she nailed all of the important emotional highlights that you needed to have in a show like this. Uh, the naivety of, of a young Leia, the, the fear from Kenobi, but also from Bale, knowing that his, yes, Leia is his daughter, but also knowing who Leia is at her core, um, the fear that he had when she was kidnapped, um, the, the dissension and the outright insubordination on the side of Riva. Even though that's a character that's never been established before, I think it was really important in the first episode to set that off quickly and to establish the relationship between Riva and the rest of the Inquisitors. Because it's not just, you know, the Grand Inquisitor doesn't like her. It's not just, you know, that she is insubordinate to him. She is looked down upon by all of the Inquisitors. The low, like I said earlier, the the least of them, the lowest of them, pulled out of a gutter. Um, I think that that Chow and and um, Joby Harold did an incredible job of building that character from nothing, and over the course of you know an hour and thirty minutes, you have a an incredible sense of who Reva is, even without knowing deep background. You know that she is a probably a deeply scarred person who is looking for acceptance from somebody like Vader. She doesn't really care about the acceptance of lower, like she even sees the Grand Inquisitor as a lower level of, uh, you know, of person within the Empire. She seeks higher approval. She, she seeks true station within the Empire and not from the Grand Inquisitor, not from any of the moths or anything like that. She seeks station and acceptance and gratitude from Lord Vader himself. And that's a high ambition to have from somebody who comes from her background. Obviously, we don't know anything of it other than what the Grand Inquisitor said. But it, it it sets off that character so well, and they did such a good job of establishing her personality traits very early on. Um, other small highlights, I think that Rupert Friend played a fantastic Grand Inquisitor. I don't care about the shape of his head. Um, never really did. Um, what I was concerned about was the acting and the, the performance delivered by him, and I think he did a fantastic job of, of portraying the Grand Inquisitor. Um, it is interesting to see how things will change now, uh, to see what process he goes through to come back after being stabbed through the gut with a lightsaber by Riva at the end of episode two. I'm very interested to see what happens there. Um, one of the, like I mentioned in the Jedi Survivor trailer, um, it there was a Powin that was featured um, heavily that you assume is the Grand Inquisitor. Is it the same Grand Inquisitor? Is there another Powin Grand Inquisitor that comes in? Um, if Rupert Friend's Grand Inquisitor has now been killed, um, is the Grand Inquisitor a clone? Could that be possible? 
know, like we, we, we look past cloning a lot in situations like this, but could it be that the Grand Inquisitor is a clone? Um, I think that that was a fantastic performance. Soon Kang, um, also an incredible Inquisitor performance on his side. Um, and yeah, I mean, for the first two episodes, there was kind of a limited exposure to other characters. I think that uh, Kumail, Kumail's character was very interesting. Not necessarily what I thought. Like, I did not think that he was going to be playing a con man who was pretending to be a Jedi with with magnets and with remotes as Kenobi exposed him for. Um, and I still think he's a character that you can't fully trust yet because why would, why would you? He is a, he's a con man. He is 100% out for his own. And when he found out that Kenobi's, uh, the, the bounty on Kenobi was high and that he slipped out of his grasp when that kid told him, he's like, oh, well, we'll get him before anybody else does. So is this, um, is this cargo transport that, that he put Kenobi and Leia on, is this actually headed for safe ground or is this headed for just another trap for uh, Haja to make his reward off of? Um, there are a lot of cool plot threads that are going to unfold here over the next four episodes, and, and I'm super excited to see how they go. And it was, it was also fantastic to see uh, Mr. Lord Vader himself in his back to tank at the end of episode two. So um, setting up the, the eventual showdowns to come between Anakin and, and Obi-Wan or Vader and Obi-Wan, I should say. I think that was excellent. Well done. So um, those are my general thoughts on Kenobi. Again, I, I loved it. As of right now, it is probably second favorite. You know, I mean, like there's really only been a few TV shows, but this rank, like these two episodes rank very high. And I think it has a lot to do with what Matt and I talked about leading up to it was there's, there's so much story to tell for Kenobi between episodes three and four and starting to see that unravel and starting to see that play out is extremely rewarding for somebody who's been a fan of Kenobi since Alec Guinness played him in seventies and eighties. Um, so I'm super excited to see where this, uh, where this season continues. Um, I know that, that, uh, Ewan has already put out there that he hopes that there's a season two. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know how season one ends yet, obviously. Um, but given the level of quality that I've seen out of these first two episodes, if there is more story to tell, uh, I would hope that it does happen. Uh, cause I think that this is the strongest out the gate that we've seen a star Wars show yet. Um, and that's it. That's all my thoughts on Kenobi for now. Um, and we are going to move into the fan segment for this week. So, uh, we will again have a question of the week in the top five Star Wars fan artist features of the week. If you want to get involved in either one of these segments, follow at Star Wars Time Show on the Instagram, interact with us on the Instagram. Don't just follow when we post something, hit a like, drop a comment, especially on Tuesday mornings for the question of the week, Matt, every Tuesday will post a question to you fans. What do you think about this? How did you like that? Typically in that, in that vein, 
And then we will pull some of those responses and we'll read them on our show. So this week, oh no, hopefully it's, hopefully it allows me to see it. Here we go. This week's question of the week is, what was your favorite reveal from Star Wars Celebration and why? We typically read five of these responses. I'm going to tell you that there's only seven total on, on the actual post, so not a lot. Um, but Matt did share one from the stories. This is from at Star Wars Guy 501. This one says, Clone Wars season, season seven Darth Maul because I've wanted him for two years. So I guess that this is a, uh, a, a toy reveal or something like that. Cool. Next up, this is Ripic Tan. And he says, both the Andor and the Bad Batch trailers were freaking awesome. I'm beyond stoked for those shows. I didn't get to see the Mando or Ahsoka footage, but getting a Sabine casting announcement is something that... Uh, that I've been really excited for. And along with Hera and basically live action Rebels season five is going to be amazing. Plus all the new black series figures look fantastic. There you go. Thank you, Ripic. And then I'll pull a few more from the post itself. <laughs> um, and here's one here. Better than sets. Says best reveal was that Star Wars Celebration is coming to London, UK next year because I'm in London and I hope I get tickets. Well, there you go. Awesome reveal for you guys who want to make it, who either live across the pond, which I know a lot of our listeners do, or who want to plan a trip across the pond for Star Wars Celebration next year. Should be super, super fun. Um, 2797 Studios says that was so much revealed during Star Wars Celebration. But these were my personal favorites. Number one, live action Chopper. Everyone's favorite murder droid is coming to live action and he looks so good. Two, Hasbro dropped the most figures since hell froze over. I know a lot of you are stepping away from Black Series, but seeing these in person got me really excited for them. And three is uh, Sabine Wren. Live action Sabine, S Sabine Wren. Natasha Lou Bordizzo, as I said earlier in the show. She looks fantastic and I'm very psyched for Ahsoka series personally. Other... Highlights include Mando Season 3 trailer, Bad Batch Season 2 trailer, and or trailer cosplay, stuff like that. So um, that is from 2797 Studios. Thank you. And Galagus Rax Hicks says, really enjoyed the Andor teaser and the additional info on Mon Mothma's role within the show. The series itself has already been number one on my list since its, uh, since its announcement, but now it's cemented its first place spot i'm also really looking forward to dooku qui-gon episodes of tales of the jedi it's about time that we explore series set before the movies on screen there you go there you go so that's all of the things from question of the week thank you guys for responding and again make sure you follow at star wars time show on instagram keep your eyes out on tuesday mornings for the question of the week post all right and to wrap this show up we're gonna talk about the top five Star Wars fan artist features of the week. Again, follow us at Star Wars Time Show on Instagram. If you are a artist of any sort, if you are a fan of Star Wars of any sort, here's what you should do. Tag us at Star Wars Time Show. 
use hashtag Star Wars Time Show in any of your Star Wars posts, whether it be artwork, toy photography, uh, paintings, you know, a- anything, tattoos, cosplay, whatever you want to do. Hit us up at Star Wars Time Show, hashtag Star Wars Time Show on those. Matt will pick out a bunch of his favorites to share every day of the week. He usually shares about seven, six or seven pictures every day. And then from those six or seven pictures every day, I pick my top five. And this is the top five for the week of 523 to 530. Starting off with at Neronian at N-E-R-O-N-I-A-N underscore on Instagram. And what Neronian has is a fantastic shot of the Mandoverse bros. And by Mandoverse bros, I mean all of these people I'm about to say. Bo-Katan, Neo Boba Fett, Fennec Shand, Din Djarin, and Casca Reeves, all on battle, all on the battlefield together, fighting against Imperial Remnant troopers. Excellent, excellent uh, work here by Neronian. And what we see is uh, just a, a massive battle ensuing. You see explosions, smoke, and Boca going off in the background. You see uh, Boba taking off on his jetpack getting ready to, to, to mow down some of these Imperial Remnant troopers. It looks like Bo-Katan's already engaged with a couple. You see Fennec Shan probably has sniped at least one or two from a distance before she starts to run in. Uh, Din is standing there confused as ever in a real fight. And Casca is basically saying, hey, step back, Bunker Boy. Let us take the lead here and take these guys out. Um, awesome shot. Color... Like one thing I really that really stood out to me about this one is the the depth of color, the color saturation that Neronian has on this shot is excellent. Deep, deep color, like very deep oranges on um, Fennec's outfit, deep blues on Casca's outfit. Um, just really excellent photo work here all around from at Neronian, N-E-R-O-N-I-A-N underscore on Instagram. Next up is a shot from Yayo Toy Photography. That is Y-A-Y-O-U-H underscore toy underscore photo on Instagram. And what we see is Lord Vader himself. Lord Vader standing front and center in the shot, holding his hand in the iconic force choke position. And you see behind him a stormtrooper lifted off of his feet, grasping at his neck, try to save his life from his... uh from his master, from his leader, from Lord Vader himself. And it looks like they're in some sort of temple facility. Lots of uh, great uh, atmospheric smoke use in the background. You see like stone, like high stone walls and almost a, you know, there is definitely a red hue from Vader's lightsaber, but almost a, a red hue in general kind of encapsulates the space. Almost it reminds me slightly of Valcor 5 and areas like that. Um, so excellent, excellent image here of Lord Vader choking out one of his underlings as he is wont to do. That is at Yayo, Y-A-Y-O-U-H underscore toy underscore photo on Instagram. Thank you. Next up, one of our favorites here at the Star Wars Time Show. This is at intergalactic underscore raptor, intergalactic underscore raptor. Uh, Intergalactic Raptor likes to have a lot of fun with a lot of different properties. And when he does it with Star Wars, it's always amazing. So what we see here is uh, the <laughs> the Emperor himself, Palpatine, in his uh, post 
post rots form, melted face and all, is doing a sick BMX trick on a bike inside of the Death Star from what it looks like. Looks like uh, Tarkin and Vader are also there in the background while uh, the Emperor is airborne, just having come off of the the, the homemade ramp that they built in the Death Star doing a, a sick uh, trick up in the air. You have Tarkin that's got his skateboard kicked up, ready to hit the ramp as well. And then Vader waiting in the background to have his have his fun next. So um, I love little that this isn't even really a mashup shot. This is just like a fun out of context in universe shot. I think it's awesome. Somehow intergalactic Raptor got a huge smile on the face of, of Palpatine in this shot. Um, and it just sells the picture even more seeing Palpatine with this big toothy smile. It, it was really awesome to see. Um, and for those of you who are listening, all of you, uh, cause nobody is watching right now, make sure to go to starwarstime.net, open up our top five posts for this week. And you get to see all of these awesome shots that I'm talking about too. So starwarstime.net, click top five star Wars artists of the week. 5 slash 23 through 5 slash 30. And this is where all these pictures will be. But this shot from Intergalactic Raptor is truly amazing. Um, he has such an incredible eye for um, for thinking up scenes, thinking up fun ways to use these characters. Um, it, he is a true uh, pleasure of a follow at Intergalactic underscore Raptor on Instagram. Thank you. Next up. A shot from a new top fiver, never before seen in the top five. Actually, there are three never before seen top fivers this week. We've already gone through two. We've already gone through Neuronian and we've gone through Yeyu. Now we're getting to at Grande, G-R-A-N-D-E underscore, underscore, two underscores, G-O-G-I-O-V-E. And this one here, this is super funny. Um... This kind of brings me back to when I was a kid. So what we see here is uh, it's just a nonsensical photo. It really is. It does not make any sense at all. So what we see is Din and Little Grogu standing next to a fan, a blue plastic fan. Uh, Din is actually holding, it seems like a Coca-Cola bottle in his hand and extending it out to Vader like, hey, man, you want some Coke? And on the other side of the fan in the in the blast of air that's coming from it you see one stormtrooper who was clinging on to one of the pieces of plastic that that uh surrounds the fan that he's as he's getting blown back by the wind and you also see vader fighting to step forward through the powerful air gusts that's pushing towards him his cape is fully billowed out behind him he's leaning and reaching as if he were being pushed away by a hurricane um, trying to get through to the Coca-Cola that that Mando that Din is 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 holding out to him, but he just can't get there. The wind is too strong. Uh, you can e- you can even see a lightsaber on the ground next to Din, so he has somehow disarmed Vader. Um, but I just thought that this shot was hilarious. Honestly, like I don't know what uh, thought process Grande Giove had when he put or he or she put this together. Um, but it's really, really fun, really fun stuff. Um, but yeah, love it. Uh, and then the final 
entry in the top five this week is from at zord.photography. And what we see is Anakin Skywalker, not Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker. I believe this is Rot's Anakin as well. I could be wrong, but I believe this is Rot's Anakin. Um, Rot's Anakin hot toy on a stap speeder. Um, do you know what a stap speeder is? Those of you out there, stap speeder. Google it. And you'll see what it is. Uh, a stap speeder is like the old episode one um, speeders that the CIS was using, that the droids were using. Those kind of like very thin standing speeders that you just put your foot feet on and you kind of took off. Um, so Anakin is on a blue stap speeder with his blue lightsaber ignited out at his side, looking forward onto a battlefield that may hold something a a serious battle going on he may be scouting out a location that he is about to to plan an assault on or something like that but he has a very stern look on his face as his lightsaber is ignited and he's on the speeder scouting out wherever he is going um excellent use of of atmosphere in the background um really cool background i don't know if it's a dio i don't know if this is outside terrain that zord photography is using right now um, but the background, even though it is mostly obscured by the atmospheric smoke, still does sell, um, like it sells Anakin being on a different planet or being somewhere else and, and, and that he's unfamiliar with and scouting different locations. So, uh, Zord did a fantastic job of that in this shot, um, at Zord, Z-O-R-D dot photography. Excellent stuff. And guess what guys? That's the end of the show. I've been talking for just about an hour here. Matt gave you an additional 50 minutes ahead of me. So all in all, you got about a two-hour show from us. And we simply recapped some of the Star Wars Celebration stuff, talked about our thoughts on Kenobi and what could come in the future for the show. And, of course, we paid homage to our fans with the fan segment of the week. So... As we always ask you at the end of the show, make sure to follow us on our socials at Star Wars Time Show on Instagram in particular. That is where we put up a majority of our content. So follow us there at Star Wars Time Show on the IG. Um, you can join our Discord. If you are a fan who likes to converse with other Star Wars fans of a like mind, perhaps, then jump into our Discord. Go to the Instagram. Hit our link tree. On our link tree is an open invite to our Discord. So once you click on that, you will be dropped into our Discord where you will have access to a host of channels um, that you can talk in, that you can share stuff in. We have meme channels. We have discussion channels. We have spoiler channels. We have so many different channels for you guys to get in there and interact with each other. Very cool spot. Um, and then make sure that you're tagging us in your shots at Star Wars Time Show, hashtag Star Wars Time Show on the IG if you're an artist or if you have any sort of artistic ability that you want to share with us at Star Wars Time Show, hashtag Star Wars Time Show. And as Matt always says as we close out the show, if you listen to the Star Wars Time Show, the Force will be with you always. Thank you, friends. May the Force be with you.